are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, the first day of December. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California Report returns to the picket line to check in with University of California postdoc scholars as a strike drags on for some academic workers. Meanwhile, lots of KVMR listeners live in the 530 area code, Oregon has the 503, and in our Central Valley, we're about to get the 350. Confused yet? After regional news and weather, KVMR's Julia Jem gets the lowdown from locals about their favorite spots. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Academic workers continue to strike across University of California campuses this week. That's despite a tentative agreement the university has reached with postdoctoral scholars and academic researchers to increase their pay and other benefits. Graduate student instructors have reached no such deal, and their labor action continues. And the postdocs are staying on the picket lines in solidarity with their United Auto Worker Union members. At the beginning of the strike, the California Report talked to workers about how they were feeling. And today, reporter Laura Fitzgerald takes us back to the picket line at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Two weeks ago, when I met Rajiv Ramanujan Prabhakar, he was wearing a yellow safety vest and marching with other academic workers. This was Prabhakar's first time participating in a strike. He studies climate change at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. For him, the tentative agreements between postdoc bargainers and the University of California will mean an additional $12,000 a year in his bank account. My rent burden is definitely going to decrease. (laughs) And that's not all. Prabhakar will have guaranteed time off for visa and immigration appointments. As an international postdoc worker from India, that's a big deal to him. He's also excited that under the tentative deal, the UC will extend the duration of his appointment from one to two years. You don't need to go every year outside the country to renew the visa. I can go every two years. That saves a lot of resources, like time and money and effort for international postdoctoral workers. Prabhakar won't be leaving the picket lines just yet. Postdoc workers like him are continuing their strike in solidarity with GSIs and researchers who have yet to reach agreements. But he thinks the hours he and his colleagues put in these past couple of weeks led to monumental improvements. The strike is the largest ever in U.S. higher education. Prabhakar believes he helped change the future of postdoctoral employment across all UC campuses. There's just one problem. He's got a lot of work to catch up on. I'm, I've fallen behind on that, so it's gonna, I'm going to have to catch up on those <laughs> work pretty soon. <laughs> so it's going to be a little bit uh, busy Christmas <laughs> holidays for me, I guess, now. <laughs> for the California Report, I'm Laura Fitzgerald in Berkeley. The Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court held her annual year-end media briefing yesterday. As KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports, Tani Kantil Sakaue left a to-do list for her successor. The Chief Justice used her final media conversation before she leaves the court at the end of December to urge California to address the so-called justice gap, the lack of financial resources to help lower-income people address their legal needs. The justice gap grows and grows, and it is firmly rooted in social inequity. It's firmly rooted in racial, gender, economic classifications and proxies. 
uh, and we didn't move the ball. Kantil Sakaue also noted the sharp rise in the use of arbitration to settle legal disputes rather than relying on the courts. She's concerned that mediation, often conducted by former judges, does not have enough transparency to create public trust. The state bar probably needs to uh, regulate, oversee, discipline mediators. Mediators are lawyers, but there's no particular unit that I'm aware of in the state bar that focuses on mediator complaints. Asked about potential reforms of the U.S. Supreme Court, such as term limits for justices, the chief justice said having permanent lifetime appointments means the high court is less concerned about its public image, which can undermine faith in the institution. After Kantil Sakaue retires to become head of the Public Policy Institute of California, Associate Justice Patricia Guerrero will replace her as chief justice. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Tobacco companies are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to stop California from enforcing its voter-approved ban on flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes. KQED's Tara Seiler reports. The state legislature first approved the ban two years ago, but it didn't take effect because R.J. Reynolds and other companies gathered signatures to put it on the ballot. The November vote didn't swing their way, with nearly two-thirds of the electorate upholding the ban. It's set to take effect as soon as December 21st. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals declined a request to block the ban, so now the companies are asking the U.S. Supreme Court for an emergency order. California would be the second state to enact such a ban after Massachusetts. Several cities across the state already have local prohibitions in place. For the California Report, I'm Tara Seiler. People get attached to their area codes. It's often become shorthand for a city or region, a quick way to express pride. I'm going up to vape. The verdict is still out for how people in the Central Valley will adjust to their new area code 350. Not to worry, 209, one of the Central Valley's longtime area codes, is not going away. But the demand for numbers in the region has gotten so high that this week, California's Commission on Public Utilities started issuing numbers in what was formerly the 209 with a 350 area code. The change doesn't affect what calls are considered local or existing numbers. But there will be a new way to tell who is old school Central Valley and who, well, isn't. And let's not forget about the 559. Where you from? From the 707. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org slash health dash equity. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, December 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download the show wherever you get your podcasts and listen to our show anytime you'd like. You can also ask your smart speaker to play the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, despite the wintry weather, the operator of the newly opened pool at Memorial Park in Grass Valley is inviting swimmers of all ages to try it out from 4 to 6 Friday afternoon. The Gold Country YMCA, which operates the facility, posted on its Facebook page that tomorrow will be the first Family Swim Friday for the 80-degree pool, which celebrated its reopening last month. The WISE program director, Alicia Lester, is inviting swimmers to brave the elements. Lester told the Union newspaper of Grass Valley, We wanted to get more families in the community to see the pool and know we are open. Right now, we are open 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Monday through Friday for lap swimmers. We've had about 20 to 40 swimmers every day. In addition to lap swimming, the eight-lane pool also offers exercise and Zumba classes, along with hot showers and locker rooms. Lester said the pool will eventually add swim lessons for kids. To find out more about the pool, visit the Facebook page of the Gold Country YMCA. The park is at 350 Race Street. The Bear River Recreation Area in Colfax will remain open to the public for daytime use only under a new agreement between Placer County and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. This news comes from a statement by Placer County. The agreement, approved Monday by the Placer County Board of Supervisors, will allow the county to provide essential services such as ranger patrols and garbage and restroom services while the property remains open for day use. The county's contract with the Department of Fish and Wildlife to manage the campground expired November 12th. The county had operated the property for more than 50 years. The recreation area offers day-use activities including hiking, swimming, fishing, and gold panning. A three-mile trail network runs through the 200-acre property. Camping will not be allowed during the life of the agreement, but may be reconsidered by the state in the future. Turning to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service, we're at the tail end of the first of two major storms that brought with it rain, heavy mountain snow, gusty winds, travel problems, and power outages. After a break through Friday night, round two on Saturday and Sunday will bring more rain, snow, and difficult travel. Showers will linger into Monday. In Nevada City and Grass Valley this evening, expect a chance of rain and snow showers mainly before 8 p.m., then patchy fog until 11 p.m. Otherwise, it will be cloudy with gradual clearing and a low around 26. Friday will be sunny with a high near 46. Friday night, expect clouds with a low around 33. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, snow will taper off to mostly cloudy with a low of 5 degrees and southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 1 to 3 inches is possible. Friday in the high country will be sunny with a high around 30. Friday night will be partly cloudy with a low of 15. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, Increasing clouds and patchy frost with a low around 33. Friday, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 51. 
Friday night will be mostly cloudy with a low in the mid-30s, areas of frost, and a chance of showers after 4 a.m. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next, KVMR's roving reporter Julia Jem goes on the road to pick locals' brains about their most beloved places to visit in Nevada County. Some of their choices are old favorites, but others may surprise you or send you out exploring. Most of us already know that Nevada County is home to a seemingly endless amount of breathtaking scenery. The flowing Yuba River, thousands upon thousands of magnificent towering pines, But aside from the physical beauty of our area, Nevada County is also rich with memories and stories from our community. For this segment, I wanted to garner a more personal and diverse response from citizens and give them the chance to truly reflect on what they really love most about living here. In order to do this, I ask each person the same question. What local spot is most special to you and why? Our first two responses come from May and Braxton at Happy Apple Kitchen off of Highway 174. Um, I like uh, Empire Mine. It's very special to me. Because it has a lot of uh, uh, nature, and it's a very place to go and take picture and roll in the grass and just, you know, have fun. And they have a pond, and, you know, there's a lot of people there, and it's just natural. And you can make a spoon from the barn, and uh, little, like, stuff in the barn they make with iron. And it's a very beautiful place. I love, love relaxing, roll in the grass by the pond. It's so nice and relaxed and peaceful, and it's very beautiful. So what's your favorite local spot in Nevada County? Camping. And why is that? Because I get to eat marshmallows. This next response is from Dustin at Pioneer Park. I like this park. This park? Yeah, because I like to bring my dog here, my dog here to run and play with other dogs and stuff. This is pretty much my favorite place. Next, at Empire Mine, we hear from Haley. I really enjoy going to Black Swan with my boyfriend. Um, We went there on our anniversary last year, and it was a really nice spot. Uh, We walked with our dogs, and it was a fun walk to do. Our next response is from Skye at the Sierra College campus. My favorite place in Nevada County is a spot my friend showed me up at the Yuba River. It's this, you're going along the trail, and there's a spot that's very easy to miss that you turn off and walk for another couple couple miles, and there's this delightful waterfall that when the tide is low, you can actually go into, and you're concealed in this little alcove of rocks, and it's the water's reflecting off it, and it's a very magical place. And finally, our last two responses come from a bit closer to home. My grandmother, Colette, also known as Granny or Granddog, and her sister, Stephanie. Um, any of the water areas, rivers, lakes, um, creeks, I like the water. I'm from Southern California. I grew up at the beach, and I really miss that. So water to me is very important. It's, it's calming. And, um, yeah, so I would have to say any of the water areas around the beautiful county. And is there any spot that's particularly special to you? Um, I like Bullard's Bar because I like the the clear water. It's aquamarine color blue. It's warmer in the summer than most of the lakes or rivers. And um, I just find it calming up there. Um, I like Chicago Park. 
Well, that's where I live. I moved up to Nevada County 40 years ago, actually 42 years ago. It was 1980 from Santa Cruz County. Um, lived up in Ben Lomond, which is in the Santa Cruz Mountains between Felton and Boulder Creek. So um, I like Chicago Park because it kind of reminded me of that area. And it especially reminds me of my childhood growing up in Saratoga, which is a small village on the other side of the Santa Cruz Mountains, right at the base of the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, before you head over the mountain. Um, I like the openness of Chicago Park and the orchards, especially the orchards. That reminded me of Saratoga. And then, of course, there's the lake. And uh, Chicago Park has one of the best restaurants in Nevada County, Happy Apple Kitchen. Everybody out here is very friendly, from the people that own Happy Apple Kitchen, you know, beer wagons, to uh, Sue at Chicago Park Store, Jenny at the post office. She's the postmaster, one of the postmasters at the post office. My son went to Chicago Park School, and um, it was a great school for him. He's in his 40s now, so tells you how long ago that was. And Chicago Park hasn't changed a whole lot since I moved here. Um, there's not a whole lot of development, a few new homes, but pretty much where I live off of Orchard Springs, it's the same. And uh, I like that you can just hop on 80 if you need to go down to the valley without going down Highway 49, which terrifies me. And it's far enough out from town, but it only takes 15 minutes to get to town. And so basically, those are the things I like about Chicago Park. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. The world is too much with us, late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. As William Wordsworth liked to say, don't you know the feeling? But also, because of COVID, I know the feeling of being outside the flow of civilization, the world being not enough with me. As I'm watching my age group move along the conveyor belt of years, I see that having grandchildren can be a boon, since it often catapults people back into bustle and connection. Having none of these useful young persons of my own, I rely on the stories of my friends about theirs, and on other strange phenomena to keep me anchored. For instance, today I am celebrating the newly repainted lines on the road. Cataract removal brightened my vision insanely much, but wow, add fresh white and yellow paint for a few miles of State Route 49, and I am in heaven. It's the little things, I tell you. Poets, of course, notice the world as part of our work, so it's not news that my brain would register a change in the brilliance of the double yellow line. What my age has given me, though, is a deep enjoyment of small things like this. I think about the way the truck applies the paint so evenly, and who was the Yahoo driving over it by the turnoff to Old Downeyville Highway when it was still wet and leaving an echo of his or her tread? I wonder who designed the stop stencil and whether that person gets royalties. 
I'm always curious about work and jobs, how things are made and who makes them. When I was teaching poetry in grade schools, I asked the kids to describe a meal they'd eaten and then track each ingredient back as far as they could toward its source. Where was the wheat grown for that hot dog bun? Who planted those carrots? And how about mustard? Where does your mustard come from? What is it made of? Maybe because I work with invisible material, thoughts, and language, I'm especially fond of the tangible, the specific. It makes me very glad to know the paint used on the Golden Gate Bridge has a name, International Orange. I wonder if the yellow paint on the highway does too. I just looked it up for us. Good grief, it's called traffic yellow. How, um, literal. But in fact, paint is now used less often than something called thermoplastic, which is applied while hot and lasts a couple of years longer. I might not have wanted to know that part. Being curious, but essentially old-fashioned, has its pitfalls. Who are the people who get to make up the names for paint? Is that a full-time job? Who decided stop signs should be octagonal? There are humans behind so many things we take for granted and don't think about. Decisions were made. Paychecks were cashed. It's fascinating. Next time you're driving your grandchildren around in the car, you can think about this. You can even discuss it with them. It will help you keep your eye on the road. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, December 1st. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. If you missed any of our newscasts or interviews, you can listen at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Stay warm and safe and join us Friday evening for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.